Okay, let's get a Bible. Go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. This is our study on the, the current situation and the biblical history of the Middle East. And uh, we've called the first one, What About the Middle East? And this will be just What About the Middle East? Part 2 or number 2. And I really, for the sake of time, I don't want to go through the whole things that we did. Psalm 2, but I'll just say that it'd be great if you'd listen to or study the previous one. We talked in the first thing, when we talked about what about the Middle East, we talked about, first of all, why is it called that? It's called that in relationship to the rest of the world. But there was a time at which it was God-center. So we talked about God-centers. We talked about, you know, the Garden of Eden. And, and then we spoke about him sending... Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on their journeys to claim an area ahead of time. Then we talked about the fact that he brought them out of Egypt and they had to wander the 40 years because they didn't want to go into God's center for them. While they were in the promised land, not in the promised land, in the wilderness, they had a tabernacle specifically and elaborately made and that was the center. They encamped in four sides of that tabernacle, and they did it according to God's order. They get into the promised land under Joshua and begin to conquer, but when he dies, he said, the Lord tells him there's still much left to be conquered. When they went into that promised land, they had to displace people, and they were doing so under the direct orders of God Almighty. And we're going to talk about the fourth thing here, and the fourth point being conflicts, God's conflicts. And the, when we talked about God's centers, remember, we talked about the Lord used Solomon, 1000 BC, build the temple. That was the center. Jerusalem was the center. We talked about the times that they went away from God. They followed the idol worship. They followed the apostasy of other peoples and nations, That some of them that they had allowed to stay in there. Now, the Philistines and Amorites and Jebusites and the Malachites, all them, they were free to roam the world under God's order. But God said, I want to give this small parcel to my people. And then God said, here's my people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now, you could become part of God's people if you were willing to follow God's way. You take Cain and Abel, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, uh, all Abel had to do was offer what God said offer. That's all Canaan had to do. So the reason this is so important is that God centers. When Jesus Christ came, the center didn't become Bethlehem. We're in November 2023, so we're coming up on that time of year commonly called in the Western world Christmas, etc. And so people are all about Bethlehem and all that kind of thing. But God's center isn't, isn't that for a Christian, New Testament Christian. It's the cross. It's actually outside the gate. It's the cross. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So the cross is the center for us. God has covenants, and we didn't dissect them. We're getting a bird's eye, a forest view of this thing, okay? When he made his New Testament covenants, he made them through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament covenants were fulfilled 
in Christ. And then we talked about the chastening and chastisements that were based upon God's centers and God's covenants, and then the relationship that we had to them. But I want to read Psalm 2, and then we're going to talk about today conflicts, God's conflicts. And it's a continuation. Honestly, it would have been a fourth point, but we went kind of lengthy on the last one, and this should be a little more brief. And the two go together. One and two are tied together. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And that's a good question, isn't it? Why is there so much war? Why is there so much conflict? Why are people never satisfied with what they got? Even though right now, what they're claiming is they would be satisfied if you'd give them what they wanted. But you can't ever satisfy somebody who doesn't honestly have to give an account of why they're doing it. Why do the heathen rage of people imagine a vain thing? Imagining a vain thing is when people think that they can go through life, do whatever they please, die, and if they say there's no hell, no eternity, then for them there isn't. That's vain. So what do you mean it's vain? It's not just that it amounts to nothing. It is nothing. My opinion by itself is not worth anything. It's not even worth the air it takes to express it. If I give an opinion based upon the words of God and it matches the words of truth, then what makes it valuable is not that it's my opinion, but rather, but rather that it's God's truth. Why do they rage and imagine a vain thing? Have you ever listened to their music? Uh, it's a great concern of mine that the, much of the modern Christian music resembles rage, the rages that they do at their parties and all their other stuff so much that it's scary. Okay? Absolutely scary. It goes with verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That is, he's going to make fun of them and poke at them. Now, these statements are not like off in the future when they're said. They're current, but they're current now too. And they will be current until the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennium, Satan is released again. He deceives the nations again after a thousand years of the reign of Christ. And then everything is settled and then we get to enter into the new day. You know, a lot of people think that ever, that, that we're all waiting, the world is waiting for the millennium. No, they're not. And not even the people who think they're waiting for the millennium are because the millennium is just a thousand years, which is only a day to God. A thousand years is as one day and one day is a thousand years. It's not going to be anything because after that he's going to lose Satan. He'll be he'll be able to deceive the nations one more time. So these kings of the earth they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. The one thing, the one thing you can get everybody to agree on is we will not yield and bow to God Almighty of the Bible, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. We will not do it. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Father and Son, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. Now, let's talk about a couple of things here. In Psalm 120, 
there's just a phrase to remember. David says it. It comes to my mind many times trying to deal with people and <laughs> trying to live with people. Psalm 120, verse 6 and 7. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. Now, I understand at the beginning of this Psalm 120, it doesn't say David, okay? So it can be even more wide-reaching. He says, My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, there's no understating that truth. The world hates God. It absolutely hates God. It doesn't have to put up its fist and say, we hate God. All it's got to do is say, we hate order. Uh, we hate commandments. We hate restraint. Let us break Psalm 2. Let us break their bands asunder. Listen, that, that English is the right English. Those bands are things that restrain us. They're things that give us order and civility. You see, the world hates God. It hates him. Hates him. When God finally responds equally, look at verse 9. Okay, watch. We're going to come back to those verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7, etc. But look at verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You see, when once God responds equally, that's it. That's why he hasn't. Because when he does, we'll know it. Everyone will. And in the meantime, look at uh, verse 5, of course. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sword as pleasure. And then pick up verses 6, 7, and 8. Watch. Yet, yet, have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. For the New Testament Christian, it's like the hymn that says, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. Wonderful hymn. He said, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Your holy hill of Zion is you, the throne of your heart. You cannot, you can't go past this. Don't ultra divide your Bible to where you miss this. Verse 7 I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Now, watch. Does this sound like, like someone we know? Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now we've got a prophetic statement. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Why, that, that stirs the heart of every missionary, stirs the heart of everyone that, that has a desire to take the gospel into the uttermost parts of the earth. But why? Because there's an interlude between all these things in verses 1 to 5, and then in, in between verses 9 to 12, there's an interlude. Now, why do they hate God? And here's, here's the thing to understand. If you could get this bigger picture, I really believe it would help believers more. It might even help them behave a little differently, a little more civil, while still proclaiming truth. The world hates God. Friendship with the world is enmity against God, the New Testament tells us. 
Why do they hate him? Why are there conflicts? There's conflicts because of God's centers and his covenants and his chastening and chastisements. The first point is God's power and place. God's power is ultimate. He's almighty. They can't actually break those bands. They will give an account. He, he'll have them in derision in verse 4 because he's going to laugh at them. Have you not seen a, say, a 13-year-old fella, brother, and a 3-year-old brother, and the 3-year-old thinks he's going to whoop on for some reason the little the 13-year-old, and the 13-year-old just puts his hand on his head and holds him at bay, and he, the little 3-year-old just swinging away. He could be even 5. He's swinging away with all his might. And what's the 13-year-old doing if he's got any kind of, you know, normalcy about him? He's laughing. It says in Proverbs, he's going to laugh at him. He's going to have him in derision. He's going to mock him. Because God's power and place is ultimate. <clears throat> this is why you have the passages in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, letting us know that Lucifer, before mankind ever came along... Okay, I received this little snippet that said that, you know, out of the chaos God created, well, where did the chaos come from? Because it doesn't say God ever created chaos. Amen. If you got chaos in your life, he didn't create it. In Job's life, he allowed it, but he didn't create it. So, God's power and God's place is supreme. It can't be improved upon. It can't be legitimately challenged. And because of his place and his power, God has plans. It says they imagine a vain thing. They think they've got plans. that They're not going to change God's overall plan. You see, here's where people get so confused. They think that if God allows something to take say, longer than it was going to, or a different pattern than it was going to, that somehow he lost control of it. No, that means he is in control because God is so powerful that he could give mankind a free will to exercise it. He gave Lucifer a will, and Lucifer exercised it wrongly and got himself cursed. Lucifer led some, some other host of heaven, some angels with him, and they fell with him, and that was their choice. Just like we choose heaven or hell, they chose Lucifer, Satan, the devil, they chose him over Jehovah, over God. God has plans. The problem is, you're going to get all twisted up if you try to figure out God's plans. As I said to someone, and I've said this for 30 years, 40 years, God is never doing just one thing. He's never doing just one thing. But he's the only one that can weave it all together. And he can take your decisions or your mistakes or he can take somebody else's rebellion. He can take somebody else's <coughs> wrong motive. Look, he took the devil who hated Job. <clears throat> he hated Job because he hated God. He wanted Job to stop short. And once he couldn't get Job to stop short, that's the end of him through the whole book of Job. He's just out of the picture. Now, think about this. He wanted to do that, and he really thought he was going to stop God's way. And God said, I'm going to show you something. 
that Job isn't doing it because of how good life is now. Job's doing it because he loves me, because he serves me, because he fears me, because he worships me. They can't grasp that. See, God had plans. He was doing many things through the book of Job. God didn't just prove that Job, that he had a follower. God wrote a book that now for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, has inspired people. See, he's never doing just one thing. And you and I can't figure that out. He can take the make the wrath of man to praise him, it says. So, they imagine a what? A vain thing. Why do the heathen rage? Because they hate God's power in place. They hate God's plan. Because of that, they're going to hate God's people. Okay? When... When the Lord begins to exercise himself, people are going to hate it. Listen, when people cannot strike out vertically, when people cannot actually do anything vertically, that is up towards God, because they can't, they will often, frequently strike out horizontally. It's as true in business, this is true in society, this is true in your neighborhood, you young people, it's true in school, it's true in, it's true in every part of human life. Let's just walk through the pages for a few minutes, just a few. Cain kills Abel because he couldn't kill God. All Cain could do was sit there and watch his offering not be accepted, which means it was what? Rejected. God didn't have to do anything to reject it, but God had to do something to accept it. And God even said to Cain, look, sin lies at the door, but, but you can remedy this. This is your chance. Now, we know Cain killed Abel, someone says, out of envy and out of frustration. Cain killed Abel. You've heard this hundreds of times. I've said it and pointed it out. Killed Abel over his religion. But the real problem was he couldn't kill God, so he had to strike out horizontally. Back before God put everything with man in the garden and put his center there, the serpent, Lucifer, he goes, he, he gets himself in a strife with God and loses. So when the opportunity arises and he can see that God has now made the earth his center of dealing with people, and he's made this garden and put these two creatures in there, he goes after Eve because he couldn't get to God. He couldn't get God. He couldn't get even with God. He couldn't do anything. Job, whom we've mentioned, ends up in the crosshairs because God's bragging about him. That's not a Bible word, but it's got Bible synonyms. The Bible words are things like commending and commendeth and glorying. It's okay. You know, sometimes you'll say, tell somebody you're proud of them. It's not, doesn't mean that you've got this human pride. Proud of them means you're glorying over them. If you were speaking some, some real good English and Bible English, you'd say you glory over them. That, in other words, uh, it's a bright spot of your life, and and they're a bright spot. Those brothers, Jacob's sons, hated Joseph. It led to envy. Now listen, they hated Joseph because God God favored him. It wasn't just Jacob. I I, I get very impatient with all this humanistic interpretation by Bible believers. Well, Joseph shouldn't have told anybody his dream. If he didn't, they couldn't have seen God. That'd be like saying you shouldn't preach about the second coming. 
because it would make you look too proud. You shouldn't preach about salvation, eternal security. No, all he did was tell them what God told him. There was no sin, there was no wrong in Joseph's dreams or in declaring them. And they had a great memory of those, but they hated him enough to virtually kill him. They, they thought surely they had sentenced him to death as a servant, as a slave. Let's take after uh, those boys and their seed grow up and they're down there in Goshen and all of a sudden Pharaoh knows enough to start eliminating them. He's going to eliminate the male children. Why? He knew what was going on. Uh, Pharaoh knew, and, and when Pharaoh said, I know not the Lord, what, he, what he's saying is, I won't acknowledge him. I'm one of these kings of the earth. And I've set myself, and I've taken counsel against him and against his anointed. So even if you're, the, uh, as Israel, the son of God, the son of Jehovah, this is my son, let my people go. No, I'm not going to do it, Pharaoh says. But why? Well, he hated God. He hated God's power. He hated God's place. He was Pharaoh. He hated God's plan. God's plan, God would have left Egypt alone if they would have let the people go. This is very important. We're building on something here. Something's very, very focused and simple. They get out of the Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, a type of salvation. They wait for the, the the group that just didn't have any faith, wouldn't trust God to die off, and they do, and now it's time to go into the promised land. And the first city they've got to take is a place called Jericho. The inhabitants of Jericho, will you get this? They fortified themselves. Are you listening? So much of what you're seeing go on over there in the Middle East is nothing we can do anything about. We should pray for individuals, for people to... Find the Lord Jesus Christ right now, before the catching away, before the tribulation, and then the great tribulation. We should pray that they'll begin to find it. We thank God for people. I've heard three different reports of three different groups taking tracks and things over there and distributing them undercover. Because here's the thing. The inhabitants of Jericho, they fortified themselves. They didn't have to perish. They could have just packed up and went, and they had the whole world at their disposal. So their problem was with whom? Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing, because the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Ready? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They said, We will not honor God's land rights to Israel. See, it's not about the, the Jews. It's not. It's higher than that. And we, we, we really don't want to lose sight of that because of what is probably coming for us as Christians before the catching away, before the rapture. May I say this to you? It's not your goodness. It's not your holiness. It's not your attitude with the Bible and your knowledge that is the main issue with this world. It's your God. It's His power and His place. And his plan. And because you're his people, you will face this. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he could do good. And he could heal. And he could do all that stuff. As long as he didn't break their rules of the Pharisees. 
and the scribes and the Sadducees, and they didn't feel the government, the Roman government didn't feel like he was a threat to them. As long as he didn't do that, and as long as he didn't claim to be God and speak on God's behalf and then say to them, there is something you've got to do. Believe on his son. As long as he didn't do that, as long as he was doing good and he was healing and stuff, they would have tolerated him. But once it entered into that he and God were equal, Philippians chapter 2, that he was God's son, that he was sent to be the Savior, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world, and up to that point. And then what happened? Bam. Conflict. 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 So when you, when you, I hope you don't di eat, digest very much news. I'll be honest with you. Be careful of so-called fresh news. Fresh news cannot, people make their living and some of them just make their popularity from those immediate first hits so they can get the first thing on off the press in the social media, etc. Don't pay any attention to it. But understand that what Israel's going through, no one, no one who's a Bible believer is, is negative towards Israel. We're not. But our place isn't to worry about the geopolitical validity of what's going on between the two parties. Because as a Christian, we know that God already, God is behind it. They hate God. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're, say, Catholic or if there are other denominations of so-called Christianity. It doesn't matter if they're out there with Islam and Muslims and, and atheists and agnostics and humanists. It doesn't matter. They come under this category of Psalm 2. And that is the conflict is God. The conflict is his plan. So let me say this to you in closing. As a child of God, please get yourself focused on what's next for a Christian. Here's what's next for a Christian. The Christian must keep themselves focused. They must keep themselves focused on their walk with God, on their calling before God. Everybody has things God wants them to do. You do. He has, he, he has the power, okay? He has the place in our lives, and he has a plan for us, and he'll use every one of his people. We need to focus on that, number one. Number two, we need to trust him with our future. It could very well be that here in the U.S. of A., for example, the whole thing could go just go to pieces. And we need to be armed with the gospel. We need to be armed with faith. We must focus ourselves on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And we must get ready to do what we can with our faith, with the gospel, until it happens. It can get very, very, very bad, very challenging, as they say. If you would read, you know, 20 pages of Fox's Book of Martyrs, you would know it can get really bad and not be the tribulation, even forget the great tribulation. It can be tribulation, but not the tribulation. Amen. But get this in your mind. It's God's centers. Okay. And God's covenants. 
It's God's chastenings and chastisements, and it's God's conflicts. And the conflicts are between God and this world. Now, we will face it just for being a Christian. It's, it's going to happen. And you're not going to be able to get away with before the Lord with hiding and arming yourself and fighting a physical warfare because Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That doesn't mean don't protect your home and stuff like that. But God forbid it, you'd go to home to heaven because you thought that having or owning a weapon was more important than the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of the gospel, the whole armor of God. I won't even make an effort to apply it to as many individual things that has come to my mind. But in my life, reminding myself of these things, of those centers, those covenants, those chastening chastisement, and this conflict, it helps me to remember. It helps me to know. It helps me to process every single day what's really going on. Back away from the news. Shut it off. Don't try to understand and predict. This This could happen. It could happen and everything go to pieces in a week. It could go on for five years and the Lord still wouldn't be too late with calling his bride out. Father, we pray you take these thoughts. They are very basic on purpose, Lord. This is the forest and not the trees. I pray you touch somebody's heart and mind and help them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God be with you.